This week's episode of Millions of Screens is sponsored by HBO Max's The Flight Attendant, nominated for nine Emmys, including Outstanding Comedy Series and Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series for Kaylee Cuoco. Stream now on HBO Max. Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined as always via Zoom by TV Awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the Mike White Lotus, amongst other things. How long have His- you been? How long have you had that in your pocket? I mean, I wrote it on Slack earlier. It oh, was in, it, it was, oh, so, yeah, like, you know, an hour. It's a couple hours. Yeah, an hour <laughs> or two. Plus, we'll be uh, talking about that Lord of the Rings image that was unveiled. One still. Are we excited? Who knows? And then Ben's going to catch us up on the Olympics. I, I'm not going to promise that I'm going to catch you up on all of the Olympics. Uh, if NBC can't do it as a company with 15 stations, then I can't do it as a solo. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. But I will talk about it. All right. some things that you will be shocked by. Shocking revelations about the Olympics. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. We'll start with some happy news. Ben, it was reported today that Tuca and Birdie has been renewed for season three at Adult Swim. Uh, how happy did this make you? Did this news make you? I mean, I, on a scale of one to ten, ten being, uh, you know, the leftovers season three renewal, which is the pinnacle of all renewals. You just didn't know if it was going to happen, but you wanted it to happen. You needed it to happen, and then it did. Uh, I'd say this is probably like a nine. Like, it's pretty high on the list. I I had a good feeling that if they were going to go through all of the trouble of kind of reviving this show to begin with, that they wouldn't be done with it after one season. But, you know, nothing's for sure in this world. Um, I had no idea what the ratings had been or, or how happy, you know, the network had been with the demographics they'd pulled in with the new season. Uh, but per the press release, they'd seen a, a nice spike in teen audience. They'd seen a nice spike in young women watching. Um, they'd competed very well on Sunday nights at the 1130 time slot, which, you know, good for them. Um, but also, you know, I, I'd, I'd heard kind of uh, extraneously, like, in the ethers that that they'd been happy with it that adult swim did like what it was doing and that you know it is pretty essential for their network right now considering uh the their history with female creators and animation and uh lisa hanawald is obviously uh, a huge talent that everyone should covet and should be going after and listening to and hearing pitches from whenever she wants to make anything so if she wanted to make a season three that should have been all there was to it she does they're making it i'm thrilled and lest we forget Still two episodes left in season two, uh, August 8th and 15th. I think the finale is the 15th. Um, that is correct. So make sure to check that out. Great news. Great news. Uh, this is totally off topic, but sort of along the long, same lines. Ben, how was your uh, baseball trade deadline? <laughs> Good. Earlier this week, Amazon unveiled the first shot of their $450 million television show that's for a a a season that's for a season singular um of uh supposedly yes lord of the of their lord of the rings tv series it's set to premiere september 2nd 2022 uh on amazon prime what do you think guys what do you how could a show that cost this much not be the greatest show of all time i mean i i um i loved the first image uh, I've actually had it as my background <laughs> since uh, it was released with Windows Vista. 
So, uh, yep. I had to look this up. Uh, for those who are looking at the photo, uh, it it could potentially be uh, the elven capital of Linden in, in the glorious human island kingdom of Numenor. Uh, I, I, I was reading a take where they were saying that those might be the two trees of Valinor, uh, but that would mean that this is set in the first age and not the second age, and I'm I don't understand any of that. Um, I'm sure Fucking the show will dork. explain it very clearly to me, though, and everything will be fine. Because honestly, guys, going back to your question about the Cubs trade deadline, I think maybe it just broke me. I think I might be a broken person now because I'm choosing to be optimistic about no. the Lord of the Rings show. I think it's going to be great. I think they spent a great amount of money, and they're going to give us something that we've never seen before, and it's going to be so exciting. And I'm excited for it. I'm just going to be excited for it because you know what? I enjoyed the original trilogy, and I enjoyed the Hobbit trilogy at times, uh, probably more than I should have. So maybe I you're will enjoy a, you're this more than I should have. You're a 48 frames per second guy. Well. You love that 48 <laughs> frames per second. Can't I get didn't enough mind of that. It. That was actually fine. That worked out okay. But uh, yeah, so here we go. Let's, I'm leaning in. I've got I've got hot takes coming next week when it comes to the Emmys. Uh, this is the first of probably a bunch of hot takes on this podcast. Lord of the Rings, Amazon series, going to be great. All right, and skipping ahead to our last item in the clicker. Ben, you wanted to update Libby and I on something you noticed uh, about NBC and Peacock's Olympic coverage. I want to note that since last week, uh, I have not watched a single frame uh, on Peacock, despite being someone who pays for Peacock. Yes, so... Um... I have been keeping up somewhat with the Olympics. Uh, we've been trying to get some coverage up surrounding how NBC has been covering the Olympics, and probably by the time this podcast is available, you'll be able to read a very thorough analysis from Steve Green, The Recommendation Machine, uh, in which he kind of outlines how NBC is still is still presenting the Olympic Games as a TV show built around narrative and characters as opposed to a sporting event built around, you know, the visceral thrill of watching live sports, which is how most audiences are trained to watch the Olympics. So it kind of creates uh, a bit of frustration for everyone, but that is neither here nor there. I'm here to tell you, uh, in again, hot take number two, uh, that the Snoop Dogg and Kevin Hart, co-hosted Olympics highlights show on Peacock is good, actually. Uh, I do not give one iota of care for either of those people. I think Snoop Dogg's great. Uh, Kevin Hart has been in movies that are entertaining, I guess. Um, But I had no plans on watching this until a rather influential Twitter account tweeted out a hot take similar to what I just said, where they were like, if you're not watching this, you should be. And I was like, okay, I'll I'll check it out. I'll see what they're doing on the show. And to be honest with you, I think the reason that it works is because it embodies the failure of NBC overall and kind of, you know, conditions that failure into this half an hour highlight show that's like half ad-libbed, half just kind of read off of cue cards uh, and then, you know, it was broken up with kind of interviews and and actual highlights that are almost secondary Um, because it feels like they've given up. 
it feels like NBC has just been like, listen, we know that you're going to try to get through. You're going to go to every channel. You're going to go to NBC Core. You're going to go to NBC Sports, which will be canceled by the end of the year. It'll be gone. You're going to go to USA Network. You're going to search through your satellite and cable subscriptions, trying to find the channel with the thing that you want to watch, and you're never going to find it. And when you do find it, it'll be over, and you'll be upset. You'll be like, oh, I got three minutes of the thing I wanted to watch, and now I have no idea how to get more of it. I want to go back, and I can't. It doesn't work that way. Oh, maybe I'll try Peacock. They have live replays. So you go to Peacock, and you try to bring up the replay, but it's not available until tomorrow, so you can't watch it yet. And even when it is available, the camera angles are really bad, and you can barely see what's going on, and they don't use replays, and they don't treat it like a real broadcast. They just put it out there. I think Steve Green referred to this as... uh, as like a like you're watching from security cam footage like you just have a camera positioned in the corner and you just kind of watch it play out and you're like well i guess i did say that i saw that it happened and that's all that i really wanted but it would have been nice to be able to tell what was going on um so you've gone through all of that you've tried every channel you've done everything you can and you're just frustrated you're very angry so you're like i need a break screw it i'm gonna watch the kevin hart snoop dogg highlight show and then they start swearing. And you're like, whoa, you're swearing? This is weird on, about the Olympics on an, on an NBC program? This doesn't feel right. And then Snoop Dogg goes into a tirade about how the Olympics don't pay their athletes. And they make them sleep on cardboard beds. And they're mistreating them, basically. It's like, oh, yeah, that's terrible. Uh, he makes some weird joke about how the triathlon has to happen in Bermuda because that's where the Bermuda Triangle is and triathlons and triangles are cousins. Uh, and all of this, all of this is just, com- it's completely off the cuff. You can, like, they're talking over each other. Uh, they're just having a conversation about whatever they want. Their little box, like of them talking, pops up in the corner as you're watching the highlight, and it takes up at least a quarter of the screen. So, like, you're being blocked from seeing some of the highlights themselves. So, you can tell uh-huh. that they don't really care about you watching the sporting event. Like, there's a shot in that last episode I watched, there was a shot of a, uh, you know, somebody dismounting and landing in gymnastics, and you couldn't see their legs. Like, they were blocked from view. <laughs> and they actually talked about it. Like, Snoop Dogg made a joke about the landing but you're like well i don't know what it looked like because you were in the way and you're like yeah they've given up and that kind of chaos was so soothing it was like this show understands how bad the rest of nbc's olympics broadcast has been and because of that it provides me a deep catharsis and i can just enjoy it even though i don't really care about either of the hosts they just work well together um and it's fun like it's just fun and unexpected and um yeah i'm as surprised as i feel like you two probably are to hear it oh wow the show i guys i'm sorry the show is called the show is called it is officially titled olympic highlights with kevin hart and snoop dogg (laughs) so like even the title is them just giving up and being like fuck this we don't know what we're doing we do know that they're going to need some sort of outlet for this. It's almost like the producers who were making this were so frustrated with, you know, their own limitations of distribution and, and presentation that they came up with this idea 
like in some sort of you know drunken brainstorming session where they were just venting to each other and then somebody was like no no no, i think we could make that i think we could fit that in we'll just hire some famous people and maybe it'll be okay peacock had over a year to figure out what it was going to do with the olympics and if the best they can do is olympic highlights with kevin hart and snoop dogg like what is going on at at nbc universal hq why is no one going oh let's give it a flash of your name uh let's let's get the notice out about this thing oh let's figure out a way so you can you can check out the events uh in a way that is easy for people to search like who is getting fired someone has to get fired over this right I mean, it'll it'll depend on how the the statistics are interpreted or interpreted, and it will depend on, on the the general kind of ad reaction to all of it. Like the there's there's been a lot of discussion about viewership being down about fifty percent, which is a huge drop off. But also, you know, they've got things to blame. They can blame, you know, that live sports haven't been the same since the pandemic started. They can blame. Uh, the fact that, you know, there's no audiences in the stands, which I still don't really understand why it would affect ratings, but every rating story I read points that out and says there's no audiences, so clearly ratings are down. I'm like, doesn't matter to me as an audience member whatsoever. Moving on from things that upset us, I guess Tuca and Birdie made us feel good, to a show that Ben has been applauding since... The embargo lifted. We're talking about The White Lotus, the six-episode miniseries from writer, producer, director, Mike White. And there's two episodes left. Four episodes have aired. Ben, why don't you sort of say your piece? And then Libby, you could be counterpoint or just agree with Ben. I think I land somewhere in between. Uh, Between how you feel, Leo, and how Ben feels which is... Right. We're a very well-rounded podcast when it comes to yeah. The White Lotus. Yes, This yeah. is, a, sadly on my end, not uh, like an overt praise fest. But um, yeah, I, I, I feel like I've talked about this before on the podcast. I know I've written about it uh, in the review, and I was lucky enough to host uh, the opening night screening of the, of the show at ATX Festival this year, which you can watch on YouTube now, which I highly recommend. Uh, because about 10 minutes in, I think Jennifer Coolidge goes on a tear that is just peak Jennifer Coolidge. So like if you're sitting there watching The White Lotus going, God, I want, I want more Jennifer Coolidge, don't go back and watch American Pie again. Go watch, you know, this this panel. You'll get peak Coolidge. She is barely um, in American Pie. <laughs> I know, but... You know, of all the Jennifer the Coolidge roles to throw of. out there. If you're going to be desperate for Coolidge and you're going to make a bad decision, then I think American Pie is probably the worst. I mean, well, maybe not the worst. I'd have to look at the thing, but it's a bad one. Point being, The White Lotus is great. I adore it. I adored it as soon as it started. I adore every second of it. And I think it works on essentially every level that it's trying to operate at. Uh, Contrary to what Leo will tell you, it is very, very funny. (laughs) It's it's an extremely funny show. Uh, I'm not going to recite the jokes back to you. That's what our forthcoming video series explaining the joke is for. But, I mean, Steve Zahn is introduced via a shot of his balls. Jennifer Coolidge and Natasha Rothwell are hysterical together. Their first session in the in the massage parlor is absolute comic genius. Like, the lines, the execution, like, everything about it is perfect. 
And then when you get down to kind of the granular stuff of exploring the characters through their clothes, obviously through the books that they're reading, that's one of the bigger things that people have latched onto during the show, um, but also through some of the offhand comments, you kind of get this rich tapestry of, of, of who they're supposed to be, who they kind of represent, and I feel like it only makes everything that they do funnier. And I think one of the things that maybe could be a hang-up for some people, not I'm not saying anybody here, just could be a hang-up in general for watching this, is that it is designed to make you uncomfortable. It's not designed to make you kind of sit and easily appreciate and enjoy everything that's going on. There's a lot of complexity within it. And one of my favorite character notes that I think speaks to this is uh, Alexandra Daddario's character. Uh, when she's talking to one of the, the college students who are judging her so ferociously from second one, she tries to explain that she uh, is a journalist and she lives in New York and she's been working for a while and then she met this guy and you know they just hit it off and she just loves him and she doesn't care about the money and blah, blah, blah. He's rich, whatever. But the detail that comes back to is she says that she wrote a profile on one of their moms. She wrote a profile on Connie Britton. And then as the girls kind of stare at her without saying anything back, she backtracks. She goes, oh, it wasn't, I guess it wasn't a profile. It was a profile of a profile. It was like a 10 women kicking the corporate world's ass type thing. And her earnest belief that that is the equivalent of a profile, of writing an actual, like, fully-fledged sourced article with interviews of multiple people as well as the subject you're talking about when in fact it's just a list that aggregates stories from elsewhere from other people's hard work speaks to the type of person that she is at this stage in her life it speaks to the to the role that you know we see journalists embodying these days and it speaks to kind of the disillusionment uh that she has with you know where she is in her life and where she's going and yet at the same time Throughout the course of the series, the bigger story arc for her is that she has made a mistake. She is recognizing that the, the man she agreed to marry is a terrible person. And she's slowly you know, having that dawn on her while she's supposed to be on her honeymoon. And you feel terrible for her. And you want her to get out of it. And you want her to you know, be okay and, and succeed. And you, you, know, you feel for her. And you can have both of those emotions at the same time. Like, you can see that she is not, you know, the perfect reporter, the perfect journalist, the perfect, like, up-and-comer who's doing everything by the book and understands her role in the world and understands what, you know, people would value when you're sharing what you're, the work that you're proud of. And you can also see her as somebody who, okay, you made a mistake. You need to get out of it. You, you need to, you know, come to terms with this stuff. And... To me, that's what makes the show so good. Like, I, I think every character has those facets kind of built into them, and the way that they're laid out is not only done in a way that is extremely funny, but in a way that is extremely relatable, and that makes it uh, incredibly uncomfortable to watch, and yet an incredibly rewarding experience to think about. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of the perfect show for me. I adore it, and I can't wait for you to see the end. Uh, Someone's I, gonna die! Um... <laughs> yeah, I've, they've mentioned that in the opening moments of the show, which is something that we love, right, Ben? We love when shows do that. Ben was okay with it. We don't, ben gave we it don't a pass. love when shows do that. 
but we respect when it's done well, and I think it is done well here. I think that this is something that needed to be included to set the stakes, because otherwise you could be watching this and... Well, we'll just say that Ben is okay with media rests when... Uh, he likes the show. When he likes yeah. the show. Yeah. If he does not like the show, he's not cool with it. No, I think... I mean, I get what you're saying, Ben, but that that opening also just like it filled it filled me with a, a it filled me with a pit of dread because uh jake lacy my wife uh watched a couple episodes the other day and came out and said jake lacy's so good at playing a white man uh and she said i mean obviously but like you know what i mean like jake jake lacy is is so good at playing that white guy like that 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 sucks um and he yeah to open with him arguably one of the least sympathetic characters in the white lotus was uh, a choice and uh yeah i have to say that when i started the white lotus i was really anticipating it because i love enlightened mike white's uh show starring laura dern critically acclaimed uh completely unwatched but uh i was i was anticipating the white lotus and immediately it made me uncomfortable now they're talking about a lot uh, a lot about class issues they're talking we're talking about a lot of unpleasant people um being unpleasant which i sometimes and i blame my midwestern roots i sometimes have trouble with uh because who wants to watch rich shitty people be rich and shitty if it's not succession um which is a totally fair thing to say uh but also i have to say like i've seen so much love for like the theme the 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 main theme of white lotus and the score uh and they made me so anxious that i almost had to stop watching just because i was so physically uncomfortable like it's very much a a kind of cringe um it everyone is being the worst um and paired with a very anxious score it was just like viscerally so unpleasant i thought i was gonna have to tap out but as i watched these first four episodes like with each episode i got more into the show's rhythm i understood more what they were going for uh connie Britton just got funnier and funnier uh as the show went along because holy shit um some of the things she says with a, a completely straight face are just uh, laughably awful, I guess. Um, and the thought that it's Mrs. Coach saying it is is just mind-boggling. But I, you know, I like Mike White's ability to 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 point out the foibles of rich white people and uh, their their sort of blindness to society and everyone else. Um, so I enjoy that. I, I, I've never been, I've never been um, blown away by Alexandra Daddario's work in previous uh, projects because I don't think that, I, th I think she's stereotyped a lot. I think that she is cast for her face and her body, which is so unfair because she's really, really a brilliant woman if you've read any of her writing. Um, but she's, she's definitely as close as we're going to get to sort of an every person here, except for maybe the college friend. And I mean, 
which excludes everyone who is working class, I guess, mm-hmm. in this show. But um, yeah, I think I think it I think it's really it's interesting. I'm very interested in seeing the last two episodes, so I don't love it. Um, but I I am I am into it. I, it did become sort of compulsively watchable so long as I had Xanax. So <laughs> that's that's good. I think that's good. I'll start with this preface. I think the show is fine. I think it is. I think it is well made. I think it is well shot. There, there are moments of it that I think are really, really good. I think I react negatively when people are like, online seem to be like, Succession 2.0, baby. This is the new. Th- we fucking love this thing. The theme is fucking hitting. Like we love this theme song. It's just like Nicholas, Nicholas Patel's Succession theme. And I'm like, hold your horses, everyone. Slow down. Let's all calm down. Everyone, off the ledge, relax. And, and and yeah, to Libby's point, like, no one does shitty white people acting shitty to each other better than Succession, and so it's kind of tough to, like, exist in that same universe. I actually think that uh, Natasha Rothwell's character probably is our in. And I think, right. and I think it's, but I think it's all, the show is sort of doing a disservice, because, like, she's not in enough to properly be that. She's kind of sidelined in the story a little bit. And I wish he was sort of more pervasive. I wish instead of just being, and granted, instead of just being the spa manager, like I wish she was like assistant to uh, the manager, you know? So like she, so like she was closer to some of these other things. She was stepping in when someone was off having his adventures uh, with his underlings. Yeah. And Uh, I I think it would serve as like a better anchor for the show. At least from my perspective, like I think that would that would would serve the show well, especially in a show that's filled with deplorable people doing fairly deplorable things. Uh, I guess one of the one of one of the notes I'd make just about the balance of it, and one of the things that again I really admire about the show is that I I kind of respect it for being a true ensemble. So like instead of kind of giving you like a specific person to latch onto and saying this is the person, one I think that helps with the with the mystery of of who died like that aspect of of the thing that lingers over the entire show and is obviously uh again important and doubly emphasized by the score like i the score kind of constantly reminds you of that level of tension but um i think that by doing that by by not giving you one person to kind of you know latch onto or follow or to anchor the show and and kind of relying on the location and the situation to anchor the show that it invites you to put yourself in the show and to say i would be here like if i was a character in the show i would be this guest or i would be this employee or i would be in this situation and by doing that i think it allows you to kind of live in both worlds which is what it wants you to do and it allows you to kind of be uncomfortable really 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 uncomfortable one moment and then laughing your ass off the next. And uh, again, like I, I, to me, it, it works perfectly on those levels. And I saw, I, I think it was Allison Herman at The Ringer who tweeted something about this where she said, I don't understand people who um, don't want to be like emotionally overwhelmed by the TV shows they watch. And then like the follow-up tweet was, was something to the effect of, 
oh, the White Lotus is uncomfortable? Yes. Like, yes. Like, that is, you want to be uncomfortable. Like, I want to be uncomfortable when I watch this show. And I want to feel those kind of, I want to be pushed toward one of those extremes whenever I watch anything. And, you know, I think that applies to Succession. The funny thing to me, I guess, is when we talk about Succession compared to the White Lotus, the incorrect but persistent narrative around succession is that it takes a while for it to kick in like it takes six episodes or so before you're like oh wow this thing's great uh when in fact it was good from the get-go but the white lotus only has six episodes it's not going to keep going it's got this story and that's it and it lays you right down in the middle of it and you're off to the races and you either sink or swim and sorry I, leo it's not going to get good the more I hear people talk about the White Lotus, the less I like the White Lotus. I guess <laughs> that's sort of what, that's sort of the that's sort of what the, I the camp yeah. that I'm in. And I, and yeah. I, and I, it, it it's it's exactly that. And I don't know. It's it's not like a, a I don't know like an anti-authoritarian streak in me to be like you what you you this about I don't know about that. Um, but I I I I think you can I I think I don't like things overly praising something that's fine. I think that's sort of what it is. It's like, this thing is fine. It's There's fine. There's a natural dissonance. There's a natural dissonance uh, when yeah. your own view, uh, you know, is it's not. So, and that, it's, yeah. And especially yeah, it, when it's like, when it's the entire sort of like machinery, like the industry is like, this thing is great and everyone is great in it. And it is Mike White's magnum opus and it's fantastic. Also, I will say this. I haven't laughed out loud once watching the show, so I don't know. You know the, I don't know how funny it is. The "Why are you tired?" line is so. It's it's a very, and this this might be my number one issue with the show. There is so much dialogue that I I could see coming out of Mike White's mouth, coming out of other characters' mouths, and it just and 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 granted he wrote it, so that makes sense, but it it. it it does not, when that happens, I'm immediately taken aback and taken out of the show. And so, like, if that happens in any show, I can't be like, this show's the greatest. Except for those five moments when I was like, no character speaks like that. That that was like, that is not normal or real. And I just, I think that kind of stuff takes me out immediately. And that's sort of, that's always going to be an issue with me. I want to go back to the Allison Herman thing, actually, then. Um, I understand the idea of like, uh, you know, you should want to feel intensely, but there's a reason it's so hard for me to watch my screeners right now. And it's so easy to go and, and rewatch things that I, that I consider television comfort food. Like when life is causing so much anxiety because of the, the uh, income inequality, uh, it's hard to enjoy wanting to spend time with these people um the problem with the white lotus a show that i like and i'm excited to see the final two episodes of the problem with the white lotus is that everyone is being completely earnest at all times which is great uh but it's horrifying to see these people and know that these are the things that they believe and to know that that is the world we're living in. And um, yeah, it's great. Mike White's doing a great job of capturing uh, the futility of human existence, but also 
uh, I'm not like having a good time watching, <laughs> like watching the world burn. Like I, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a totally fair point to be like if if the world is on fire outside your window, if you're if if you're the this is fine, everything is fine dog. Do you like it's like and that that's what that dog is like. Okay, I'll watch White Lotus and just add to the general anxiety I already have about everything that's going on in the world. Yeah, it, it's um. By the time that the teenage son, who has not been developed whatsoever, uh, he watches porn, apparently. That's um, what by kids the time... do, Libby. Well, sometimes he watches porn. A lot of the times he's playing video games. I, I mean, maybe I'm just uh, defensive of him because I would lose my mind if my Switch uh, got ruined by the ocean. Um, a Switch Lite? I think it's a Switch Lite, by the way. What the fuck? No way. I don't think it has the removable controllers. Oh, that's just stupid. Um, but by the time he says, who gives a shit what anyone cares about? Like, we're all parasites and the earth is dying. Like, what, what are we doing here? What are we, I'm like, yeah, I, I genuinely thought about turning it off. Cause I was like, yeah, it's a good point. I should fucking go outside. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know how in denialism TV I am right now, but, um, Mike White's doing it as well as maybe. Yeah. It and this goes back. Done. This goes back to my earlier point about the characters feeling like they're saying Mike White lines in Mike White voice. Uh, a lot of those dinner scenes, specifically, feel like little plays where the dialogue is so fucking on the nose. And I love, I love that dinner scene because I think everyone delivers it really well. But that the luau, it it does feel a little bit like a face book argument like, there's so there's so many times during the show where i go this is mike white's this is mike white trying to come to terms with the current uh cultural movement of like what young people think he is writing there are so many words that come out of the daughter and the daughter's friend's mouth i'm like this is what mike white thinks teenagers talk like it just feels that way to me. Maybe I'm I might be alone in that thought, but like none none of that rings true. There is more truth in like it, it and I think that's the this my primary issue. The older characters start to speak more like real people because that's closer to who Mike White is, and the younger characters feel like uh he is putting words in their mouth to like be these vessels for these thoughts as opposed to being actual characters. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair criticism. Um, it wasn't you, something that pinged me until you started talking about it. So thanks for that. Um, do you want to ASMR? Fuck that. I, what did I write to you, Ben? Where I was like, it was oh, like, oh, you were so mad. You were so it was mad. Like, triggered. So, it was like all. The, it was like it was like yeah. It was like a culture war bingo, and like he got all five in ten minutes, and it's like what in the fuck is happening on this show? I mean, one, I guess I just like the writing more than you. Uh, two, I still think that a lot of the words that he's choosing are very purposefully chosen. Uh, three, I don't have a teen, and I don't know a lot of teens, so I can't speak to how teens speak, but this sounds just as good as what's on Euphoria, so I don't care. Um, Euphoria also is not real. <laughs> well, I know none of it's real. Like, I, I, until we have a 13-year-old in the writer's room, you know, pumping this stuff out or you're just recording your children in secret which neither neither of which should happen by the way Wait, uh, is generation this is kind of the reality good? we live in 
Nope. <laughs> so, uh, I, I listen. I understand what you're saying. I obviously can't argue with it uh, because it is just a matter of taste and a matter of like how these words hit your ears. So, like that subjectivity is just going to exist. Uh, the only thing that I'll speak to is is the desire to spend time in a world with these people. And it's the same defense that I'm out whenever somebody brings up this argument in regard to succession. Um, to me, I think this is one of the major issues of our time. I think it's something that a lot of people are still having a hard time wrapping their heads around. I think that for so many generations, the American dream was personified by being rich. And if you became rich, if you became wealthy and secure, then you did something right. Like you did something good and you earned it. And we are slowly trying to peel that back to expose that a lot of the people who are rich didn't necessarily do something good to earn it. They inherited it. They stole it. They, you know, protected it for themselves at the expense of many, many other people. And I think that this show serves as a reminder of exactly those things. For people, especially, again, a lot of people who probably subscribe to HBO who may not want to hear it, but maybe a few of them do. And for those of us who are already well aware of it, uh, at least for me and a couple other people out there, there's a lot of enjoyment in that takedown as well as the way that the takedown is built and constructed. So, like I, again, I think it serves a valuable purpose. I'm very glad that I enjoy it. I don't, I'm not glad that I enjoy it more than you. Uh, I wish everyone could enjoy it the same like we do with Succession. But I, I do think that there's plenty of valid arguments to be made in regard to why people should want to watch this and should give it the benefit of the doubt. Oh, and I, I think that's totally admirable. And I love that, that that's what the show is, is doing. I also want to make sure, because I've been fairly negative, I do enjoy the show. I just don't think it is the greatest things in sliced bread. Listen, we've got a list of 21 shows, best of the year so far. We'll see what makes the top 10. We'll see at the end of the year what White, we put I mean, on the top 10 list. Right, right now, White Lotus probably does make a top 10 list. I mean, I haven't watched as much as you have, Ben, but like, it probably does just because, like, as I've said, it is incredibly well made and there are some very good performances on it. I just don't think it's going to make a top 10 of all time list. Or like, it's, it's not in that ballpark for me. Um, also, just to be clear, the words are fat, cuck, and triggered all show up within 10 minutes of each other in the pilot. And that is, that is definitely like 20, 2020 meme bingo. Did you, get, did you get them all? These are the things, these are the, things the kids say. They say these things. I will, I will say, uh, I, would, I will reiterate that I enjoy the show more and more with each episode. Uh, I like it. I'm excited to see how it ends up. And although I have spent plenty of time on the podcast pointing out things that I didn't like about it, um, I point those things out because it's good and it can it can it can stand up to criticism. Like, yeah. uh, and Mike White is so talented and so um, able. Is has proven time and again his his ability to, to make great television, uh, you know, um, it can take a little criticism and, and I still enjoy it. I, but, and I, I appreciate conversations like this because when I don't completely love something that it feels like, uh, like the critical circles have all kind of taken, 
and held close to their heart, it, it is disorienting. And uh, it's nice to see where I might be disconnecting. And, and, and Ben, I, I appreciate seeing the things that work for you because it helps me to figure out what doesn't work for me. Um, so I'm yeah. happy we had this conversation and White Lotus is good and you should check it out. It's kind of strange because, like, the things that you aren't vibing with, Libby, are, like, different from the things that I'm not vibing with. And they're obviously different from the things that Ben clearly is vibing with on this show. But, like, this the show... Is, this is I think you should leave season two all over again. And uh, <laughs> I think we all know that terrible. Cough and Flop is the best sketch of I think you should leave season two. Uh, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Here's, here's what I'll say. Last thing on White Lotus. As someone who is... As a group of people who are all rooting for the fall of old old white men uh, more, more than more than anyone, uh, I, I do incredibly appreciate, and I hope there's more of it in the last two episodes, the White Lotus is shining a light on the fact that Hawaii's history is completely and utterly fucked up. And I, and I hope it does enough of that to sort of like the same way that Watchmen sort of shined a light on like Tulsa to be like, this thing happened, and it's ne- it's not taught. It's like this thing happened to Hawaii, and we no one knows about it. I'm very that that's really interesting, and I I am happy to see more shows that examine fucked U.S. history, uh, which is why I think you could expect some of us to talk about Reservation Dogs next week, as it premieres on Monday. FX's new show about a coming of age story set on a reservation in Oklahoma, I believe. Uh, it's, uh, Taika Waititi is an executive producer. He co-wrote the pilot. Everyone who writes and directs on the show is an indigenous American, I believe. Um, but I'm, I'm not quite sure on that. Uh, I've seen the first two episodes and they're good. I'm into it. I'm super into it. Um, and congratulations to FX for making a show uh, not about an old white man or a young white man. Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation. They our theme music features excerpts from the classic YouTube video, Bjork talking about TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Price and our publisher is James Israel. And we don't have an executive editor. Come work for IndieWire. Ben needs help. Our favorite Mike White performances as an actor are as Ned Schneebly in School of Rock, as the unnamed gas station clerk in Zombieland, and as Mr. Burke in Orange County, Millions of Screens strongly endorses watching Mike survivor. White. Survivor. As He's also a survivor. That's not what I was gonna say. Strongly <laughs> watching Mike White as Chip Kelly, Kim Kelly's older brother on Freaks and Geeks. Whoa. You can find us on Twitter at Million Screens at Midwest Spitfire, Ben T. Travers, and Leo and Garcia. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review, let us know what you think. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo. Remind you as always, they shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast.